Behind the laughter, a note of seriousness. They're watching Peter Casson, who has proved the power of hypnotic suggestion to be well beyond dispute. The reactions of his subjects are genuine, as he now demonstrates the power of post-hypnotic or delayed action suggestion. Whenever you hear the tune, so tired played, you just carefully go to sleep. From here, what I want to do is illustrate the American Legion's impact on the gradual transformation of public perceptions of mental illness, primarily in the case of veterans and active servicemen, through the use of effective propaganda and lobbying to enact legislation that proliferated military psych hospitals following the First World War. Hospitals where, for at least a time, hypnotherapy and psychoanalysis were two of the weapons in the arsenal for treating various war neuroses. 
mental illnesses that we would now consider post-traumatic stress disorder in many cases. Furthermore, the hope is to demonstrate how the exact same capitalist and industrialist conspirators that sought to bribe and or pressure General Smedley Butler into leading a coup attempt that would either force President Roosevelt to abdicate or else become a mere figurehead functionary, puppeted by capitalist interests. By the end of this hypnotherapy and fascism interlude, which will stretch into two parts, I hope to show that the same people that funded the American Legion in the first place were those who were behind the Wall Street putsch. To do so, we need to go back to John L. Spivak's series of essays in New Masses that we referred to in the previous episode. You remember how the American Legion was to serve as Butler's shock troops for the planned assault on Washington in the business plot scheme, right? And you remember how Gerald Maguire, acting on behalf of his employer, Grayson M.P. Murphy, was the man who kept calling on Butler in his home and sending him postcards about fascist veterans' organizations from the French Riviera. Well, as Spivak writes in his piece, it was Grayson M.P. Murphy who ponied up the $125,000 in starter capital for the American Legion in its infancy. Let's quickly gloss over the formation of the American Legion, as there's plenty to be gleaned by examining those involved in its founding and its original purpose. The Legion was primarily the brainchild of Lieutenant Colonel Theodore Roosevelt, Jr., son of an American president who played a massive role in American expansionism and imperialism during both his military and political career. Teddy Jr. served in the American Expeditionary Forces, henceforth referred to as the AEF. He was in the 1st Division with the cessation of hostilities and Kaiser Wilhelm II's abdication in November of 1918, American draftees were growing increasingly impatient with being stuck in France or elsewhere, dawdling and getting drunk between drills, most likely. The only certainty, a protracted wait before you could get sent home. Caused by the Herculean logistics of shipping hundreds of thousands of soldiers, 
Morale was cratering. Coupled with this, the officer class grew increasingly concerned as they warily watched the ongoing Bolshevik revolutions in Germany, Russia, Finland, and Hungary, and began to realize that there might be a connection between idle, angry, and underpaid working-class troops and the revolutionary moment. So, that fuckwit, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., son of a U.S. president, took it upon himself to defend quote-unquote Western democracy and Americanism, which will become the byword for fascism in the United States. He and a National Guard officer named George White began to lay plans for the creation of a veterans organization in the general headquarters. Once the idea began to snowball, not without ceaseless advocacy by Roosevelt and White, General Pershing issued, quote, an order to a group of 20 non-career officers to report to the YMCA in Paris on February 15, 1919, end quote. This lot had been hand-picked by Roosevelt. They were reinforced with a number of regular army officers of Pershing's choice. Note the role that a YMCA played in the formation of this, as, I will argue, openly fascist veterans' organization. Remember from the previous episode how we revealed that William Dudley Pelly used a YMCA correspondence position as seeming cover to get into Siberia, where he also worked on behalf of the Young Men's Christian Association, writing propaganda to combat quote-unquote satanic Leninism. The YMCA seems to have played a major support role in American World War I and anti-Bolshevik military efforts. Robert Sterling Clark of the Business Plot and his family appear to have donated to the YMCA in the past, although the connections may be minor. I know his mother financed the Ernest Flagg-designed YMCA building in Cooperstown, at the very least. Getting back to this session that gave birth to the American Legion, the officers had been tasked with drafting, quote, new laws and regulations, end quote, to boost military morale. After three days of deliberations, Roosevelt presented his plan of a new, comprehensive veterans organization. Roosevelt then returned to the United States to set in motion the inclusion of non-combat veterans. There are other organizational ins and outs, but I want to avoid getting into the weeds here, 
The main thing to know is that these initial efforts led to the Paris Caucus, where the American Legion was first officially chartered. Interestingly, before it was named the American Legion, the organization was tentatively called the Liberty League Caucus. Huh. What does that sound like? Sounds fucking shockingly similar to the American Liberty League, the organization that was formed by the Wall Street Putsch conspirators that, in essence, gave their involvement in the plot away, one of whom was evidently a fundraising conduit for the American Legion and the source of its $125,000 in starter capital, as previously mentioned. At the Paris Caucus, with temporary chair Eric Fisher Wood presiding, the delegates focused on three primary tasks. Quote, First, set up an apparatus to conduct a formal founding conference in the United States sometime in the winter. Second, the body should draft a tentative name for the organization. And finally, the body should compose a provisional constitution to be submitted to the founding convention for its acceptance or rejection. End quote. The various names volunteered were whittled down to a list of five, and the American Legion was selected as the preferred option. Similarly, it was decided that a convention would be held in Minneapolis later that year. Teddy Roosevelt Jr. ended up holding a similar secondary preliminary conference in St. Louis before the founding convention in Minneapolis. It was at this caucus that the American Legion's constitutional preamble that has carried on through the generations was drafted. Let's read it quickly. Quote, For God and country, we associate ourselves together for the following purposes, to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America to maintain law and order, to foster and perpetuate a 100% Americanism, to preserve the memories and incidents of our association in the Great War, to inculcate a sense of individual obligation to the community, state, and nation, to combat the autocracy of both the classes and the masses, to make right the master of might, to promote peace and goodwill on earth, to safeguard and transmit to prosperity the principles of justice, freedom, and democracy, to consecrate and sanctify our comradeship by devotion 
to mutual helpfulness. End quote. I didn't read the earlier preamble that the Paris caucus drafted, but there appear to be some major differences. Whereas the Paris preamble is a little more oblique and opens with talk of upholding the, quote, principles of justice, freedom, and democracy, end quote. The St. Louis preamble opens with the invocation of, quote-unquote, God and country, immediately followed by, quote, to uphold and defend the Constitution, with the maintenance of, quote, law and order, end quote, next in degree of importance, followed by, quote, foster and perpetuate a 100% Americanism, end quote. Remember how I said earlier that we will find Americanism to be basically an American fascist dog whistle. There's also thinly veiled anti-Marxist language with the phrase, quote, combat the autocracy of both the classes and the masses, end quote, which is obviously more an allusion to the dictatorship of the proletariat than it is protecting working-class Americans from the pangs of life under relentless capitalist labor exploitation. This is further borne out by the fact we've already ID'd one of the primary motivators of the formation of the American Legion was to fight against Bolshevism. We've also alluded to the fact that the Legion was frequently used to strike break in the ensuing decades, as Major General Butler noted. Finally, we've also detailed how the Legion appears to have been financed by the same capitalist class via Grayson M.P. Murphy, who would later aim to use it to take over the country during the Wall Street Putsch. Let's quickly peruse some of the notables that make up that founding delegation of the American Legion, shall we? So.